Exploring the culture, the adventure, and the impact of martial arts. That's what we do at Kung Fu Podcast. I'm your host, Sifu T.W. Smith, and thank you so much for joining me in episode 55. We're going to get started today. We're going to be talking about a woman's response that saves her small child, a real danger in northwest China, some comments made by a popular media source, and a little bit about the podcast of Tibetan Kung Fu, The Kitchen, The Cook, and The Stew. Before we get into those stories, I'd like to recognize some of the connections we've had over this past week. Over on Twitter, Mr. Robert Moran out of Massachusetts and an inventor of the sharpshooter keychain reached out. Andrew Plitt out of Jackson, California. Sensei Masengal out of Santan Valley, Arizona. Shui Jiao, U.S. And they translate that as Chinese wrestling out of New York. And Stephen Fury, stand-up comedian in Bay City area. And he has his own podcast called Belligerently Uninformed. And he had sent me a note as well and reached out to me over at Twitter. Over on Facebook, Dominic Curie out of Lake Stevens, Washington. Phil Dunwoody. He studied over the YMMA Retreat Center and lives in Pennsylvania. Stephanie Lively out of Houston, Texas. Yep, good place. I know it's hot down there this time of year. Jeff Sheets, who's from New Jersey. And the best bakery I've ever been to in my life was in Jersey. I gained a pound just thinking about it. Ade Tokombo, who lives in Indiana. And Michael Gibbs, who also lives in Ohio. All those folks reached out over at Facebook this past week. Thank you very much to Mr. Jeff Mock who's also contacted me, and he and I actually spoke on the phone yesterday, to let me know he's coming through North Carolina and wanted to stop in to meet me and may spend some time around here to take a couple classes and work out a little bit. So thank you very much for uh, making the effort to reach out and contact me. And if I've missed you, please drop me a note, kungfupodcast.com forward slash contact. I read all the me emails and will share you know some of this on the show as I can. And if you like, I will keep you anonymous if you prefer. A story that came across my RSS feed, and it's not so much that it related to Kung Fu, but it did relate to me as a dad. A lady was going down an escalator, and the floor panel underneath her feet gave way. And as the woman is falling through the escalator, and she's jammed, jammed down in there, and as she is plunging through the floor, she manages to toss her small child safely into the arms of bystanders who are also on the escalator going by. As a dad, I can relate to that feeling that the last effort that you'll make is try to make sure your child goes on. The next story I wanted to bring up was the drought. For many of you, you may not know that there's an image there at Shanghai Daily of the Jinpu New Area of Dayline, Northeast China's Liang Province, and on July 26, 2015, so it's going on right now, the lingering drought in Liangning has resulted in about 250,000 people lacking drinking water, and it has affected over 1.5 hectare acres of crops. It's one of the worst droughts in nearly a generation. And the reason I bring this up over at Kung Fu Podcast is that in episode 51, Professor Culp back in the 1920s describes why martial arts was so important to, to the villages to help protect against seasonal bandits. And throughout the history of China, this is exactly what the circumstances are that get set that produce seasonal bandits. You have a drought where people begin desperate for water, but then also, as they noted here, that farm animals also begin to suffer and die. 
and an otherwise peaceful village of folks would turn to violence in attacking other regions to get the resources they need in order to survive. And now once everything is settled, the banditry would go dormant. So through this drought, corn and agriculture, farm animals, and especially those of herded on the lands, have been decimated. And this is exactly why martial arts was practiced in those communities and as individuals throughout time. A writer named Robert Hunziker wrote an article called Drought, Death by a Thousand Cuts at Counterpunch.org. And he wrote, quote, Drought is like death by a thousand cuts. It steadily but slowly devastates the countryside long before people recognize an emergency at hand. Remarkably, China's drought impacts as many people as live in all of North America. End quote. There are many people who are suffering at the hands of this natural cause, and according to Mr. Hunziker, the human interaction with the world is contributing to the problem. Some say it's global warming or other natural disruptions. Whatever you might want to call it, people and creatures are dying just the same. And unfortunately, after several years of living in South Texas like I did and reading a little bit about China's irrigation issues, oftentimes flooding will follow drought. The ground gets so hard, rains come, and it's got nowhere to go. And that brings on a whole new set of problems till it balances out. Now on to the main topic of today's episode. In recent comments, UFC MMA commentator uh, Joe Rogan had a lot of things to say with some friends of his about kung fu and martial arts in general. And then a listener of ours sent me a note and said, Hey, Sifu, have you heard these comments And by Mr. Joe Rogan? And I did not know who Joe Rogan was. I don't listen to uh, stand-up comedy that much, and I'm not a fan. I don't watch UFC or MMA. So honestly, I had to look up who, who he is and what he does. He is experienced in martial arts, apparently holds several black belts in different areas, and he's an advocate for working out. He has quite a number of opinions, and he lets those things fly. He's also a supporter against the mistreatment of some of the animals by some of the projects that he helps support. I listened to two pieces of his work, and as a parent alert here, it is littered with F-bombs and everything else, so it's not the sort of thing that I'm going to be sharing with my son. I saw where one of his comedy influences was Richard Pryor, so that should give you a little bit of a hint. In a project called Joe Rogan, talks to London Real about Kung Fu, Taekwondo, Karate, Ninjutsu, and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I have the link there to the YouTube right there on the show notes on the website. And I listened to it a few times, took a few pages of notes, and I'm going to approach these topics in close proximity to the order that they occur to in the actual audio recording. My purpose with this is to take Mr. Rogan's comments and do what I was taught to in Kung Fu, learn to practice being a prosecutor and defender of all things. Listen to what he says, what he doesn't say, and let's see what I learn. So let's hit it. He says right off in the beginning, Kung Fu is just not the way to go. He says that some of the hands are just not potent enough. And so, for example, they're talking about a back fist. And they say that a back fist to the face, it's not that it doesn't work. It's just not as good as giving your opponent a right and clocking them out. So as the audio is going and the video's flashing up these pictures, they have this guy that looks like some, a shot out of some black belt magazine, and he's delivering a picture-perfect back fist to the back of his other buddy's head, you know, just a model shot. The next shot that they show, as he is commenting on the overhand right, the image is an MMA UFC contest with two glove contenders, and the one is being clocked has blood running down his face. 
This instantly brought back memories for me of working with uh, one of my classmates named Kevin. He was a Delta Force guy, and he was excellent in the Choli foot. One of his favorite hands was that very backhand that they were pointing to in the Kung Fu. And I've been hit with it at full speed in full non-compliant sparring, which means I was trying my darndest not to get hit. The footwork that we practiced with was much different than what they had the model shot of. It was called still a step in the footwork that we practice it. And getting hit with it about 10 or 12 times over the years, uh, I can tell you that that hand does hurt a lot if it connects. But in our style, it doesn't matter if it connects or not. Because as soon as you move to get out of the way of it or move to intercept it, it was already gone. And then this vicious uppercut hand comes out right after it and it would clean your clock. So to his point, if you practice the back fist with the intent of calling it a finishing hand, that's probably not the best thing. Uh, if you want to practice it with what we call the uh, concept is a flare hand, and it's a hand that you throw up swiftly with the intent of making your opponent and enemy move, either creating a stunning effect or at least a dazing effect, or at the other level, make them move so that you can prevent them from getting an angle on you and you carry out your strike. It is one of these things, first hands that I recommend in a multiple assailant scenario because you can practice it, hit it very fast and swift, and you can deliver it without turning your back on the other assailants. And you will also satisfy the criteria of the strategies of multiple assailants, which I'm not going to get into here. You can get with me on that personally, or you can go over to the World Combat Association and get some information over there. Another topic they get into is pretend fighting as if it's real. And he talks about when people get into this, uh, when you do this, then I'm going to do that. When you throw this punch, then I'm going to do that. And look, you've left yourself open here, and then I'm going to attack your organs is the kind of thing they talk about. And when I was taught Kung Fu, this was cardinal sin, number one. And I mean it. It was called talking hands. And it was a sin to do it. And in fact, you ran the risk of getting really either tossed out of the school or definitely on the bad side if you were practicing talking hands. When you talk about hands and walk through it like you were playing chess or checkers, it is ridiculous. It's pointless. And then sometimes it's even worse than that. It's a detriment to your martial arts training if you're practicing for combat, self-protection, or even sport because it never, ever happens that way. You will never have time to think about what is happening when another person is trying to drill you in the face or knee you between the legs. Plus, your enemy or competitor is never going to tell you any of the three things that you must know in order to make that work. They're never going to tell you the where, when, and how they're going to hit you. And I promise you, that doesn't happen. However, if you practice martial arts and enjoy practicing it for shows, movies, and choreographical type of things, that is exactly the skill set you're going to have to practice and drill until it's seamless. Of course, if you're not the hero, you better expect to be taking one into the organs every time. So the objective of your practice is what you must be aware of here. If you're practicing for full combat, sporting, law enforcement, self-protection, or military combat, and you are teaching or learning how to talk hands, I encourage you to change very quickly. The next topic was as they said that you earn your black belt in jiu-jitsu by putting someone out that doesn't want you to put them out because they're resisting. We usually refer to that as non-compliant. This is a reference to a statement made by Roger Gracie of the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu System, 
who commented that in many systems you get a black belt by a brick test and a kata. And apparently in their system you have to, for example, get a chokehold on somebody who is going to fight hard not to let it happen. Now, two things here on this particular point. I didn't come from a belt system. I came from a familial system. So I can't speak to how systems or styles go about it. I'm going to defer all that to Ian Abernathy because he knows a lot more about it than I do, and he is someone that I trust, and I know that will speak fairly and transparently about the topic. The second thing is, is that I absolutely agree with the premise that you earn your stripes. But now we're back to context. I busted my rear end for years training with young men that fought for their country. And when we trained, sparred, it was so that they could fight for their lives in a place that you couldn't even see on a map. My classmates had no tolerance for show or uselessness when it came to their lives in the field. We didn't earn belts, but we earned each other's respect by pounding each other literally into the dirt. Or trust me, you can absolutely guarantee that you fight hard from being pounded onto a 120-degree black asphalt parking lot, which is what we used to do. For many of the folks that I've gotten to know over the years who become my students, a McDojo factory isn't necessarily concerned about how you perform in full contact events. However, if you practice your Kung Fu for health or a philosophical way of life, you don't need to go across the line to combative practices. But you must be aware of what you're practicing, so don't fool yourself or get fooled by others. So if you earn a black belt and you've learned kata and you've broken bricks, you've met challenges, you've done those things, that's excellent. You've practiced for health, a better understanding, a way of life. There's no issue with that. But it's not going to carry over into other areas if you're not putting forth working on timing and non-compliant training. Then they talk about physical fitness. In this portion, they generalize that most jiu-jitsu guys over 45 are, quote, he's stocky, he still rolls, he's still in shape, end quote, especially if they're teachers. They continue by saying, quote, without fail, every single 45-year-old-plus traditional martial artist is the guy with the slouch, beer belly, and it looks like he hasn't done a push-up in 15 years, end quote. And the other guys are back there laughing in the background. Now, that's not true. And this statement is prejudiced toward favoring jiu-jitsu, as you could probably hear. However, to their argument, it is way too prevalent, and I agree that there should be an effort to be, at least at a minimum, a decent role model for a lifestyle. Now, I'm almost 52 years old. I work out regularly, adhere to some lifestyle guidelines that I occasionally have to tighten up a little bit so I can look the way I want to look and feel the way I want to feel. My only recommendation to you is that if this gross generalization stings you a little bit, then don't be that person. Make a lifestyle adjustment, get some health habits, and look like you've done a push-up in the last 15 years. Then they go on to talk about earned respect. And in this segment, they talk about how it is almost cult-like that you're required to bow every time the teacher walks in, every time you walk into the training area, or the teacher has some weird title of authority and that in their jiu-jitsu system, that is not the case. Now, I can't speak to other systems, but Sifu and Sigong were the two main titles that we were familiar with when I was growing up in the Kung Fu. These titles of master or grandmasters were a lot more vague because it seems like someone woke up one day and has declared themselves, or the head of some association has declared them, grandmaster. And just like Rogan and them were saying, some of these masters and grandmasters hide behind the veil as if you're not worthy to communicate them. And that should be nonsense. 
This isn't true for all of them, but there are many who will fit this image to an absolute T. Respect should be of self, and it should be mutual, and it should be earned. And I put up here one of the last ones they have, which it says, Jiu-Jitsu is about exposing reality. A lot of martial arts is about putting on a show. Now, to this point, many activities expose realities. The martial arts used in sports can certainly expose some of the same things that any of us may face in our lives. You have to learn to train for your pursuit of excellence. You have to learn to face a challenge. You have to learn and realize that you may come up short. You will have to suck it up sometimes. You're going to have to put your pride to the side and your ego over there with it. And absolutely that shows up, I'm sure, in jiu-jitsu. It showed up in wrestling. It shows up in football, where is why I primarily learned it. Where on a football field, individual effort and team responsibilities were emphasized. Wrestling, where it was all on you as an individual and you didn't have to worry about being double teamed or caught from behind by someone else. But the question comes in to what is the reality you're trying to define? Jiu-Jitsu is no more of a reality than football is, or MMA, or even military combative skills. It is a hyper-focused piece of reality that has many times an overlap in other skill areas. If you've ever been around guys that have spent months in places that they can't talk about from the military and then have to witness their transition from that reality to their reality back here in the civilian and on uh, U.S. soil, for example, you can instantly see there can be many perspectives of reality. The spirit of their comments seem to be targeted to those who practice for show and try to peddle it off as a reality-based kung fu or martial art. I would agree with the sentiment. If you're taking your kung fu and branding it or marketing it in such a way that it's misrepresenting what you're actually doing, then I would wish you that you would slow it down and make an adjustment. But of the six main points I took from the 10-minute and 28-second video, I had very few qualms with the points that they were trying to make. Did I care about the tone and the way they did it? No. No, I didn't at all. But just because I don't like how someone sounds or, or someone presents themselves doesn't make their points invalidated. So let's summarize these six points again. The first one, some hands are not that potent. And we understand that not all hands are intended to be a finishing hand. And understand how to set up or get into a finishing hand lock, choke, or gouge is important, but there's long-range, mid-range, and short-range hands, and all of those have to be accounted for. The second point is pretend fighting as if it's real. And unless you're practicing for the movies or playing a martial arts game, then stop it. It will only interfere with your training and you're wasting time. And as Mike Tyson once said, everyone has a plan till they get punched in the face. And I can tell you that's absolutely true. Point three, you earn your black belt in jiu-jitsu. And I know that not all black belts are created equal. They represent different things to different styles, to different systems, and to you as an individual. If you are solid in what you're practicing for, you have put in your practice and it's been aligned with your goals, and you don't misinterpret to yourself what the belt means to you, I don't have any problem with that. However, if you know 30 forms and can break 20 bricks and you're trying to convince me that you're a combat expert, I'm going to take exception to that. Point four, physical fitness. You don't need to be on the cover of men's fitness but it would be good to at least look like you take the effort to be active and have some guidelines of a healthy lifestyle. Point five, earned respect. 
One of my favorite quotes on respect was from the great Indian chief, Tecumseh. He says, quote, Respect others in their view and demand that they respect yours. End quote. And point six, exposing reality. And if you're willing to face a challenge, meaning that you're willing to come up short, you may have to get your rear end handed to you or fail in this particular instance, then you are working within the reality we must all face. If you work to improve upon your skills, your strategies, and your objectives, then you are also working within a reality that we must all face. But if you're pretending, then you are also working within a reality, one similar to a used car salesman, except you're selling to yourself. Now the next segment here is for you, the Kung Fu practitioner and teacher specifically. The domain of Chinese martial arts is one that I love and I respect a great deal. And I assume that you do so as well. And so though I admire and respect other martial arts systems and styles and really do admire honest teachers and practitioners, the Chinese martial arts is where I call home. So let's reflect on what we just learned. What can we learn from the criticism that Joe Rogan and them had to say? Some of you stated you didn't care for the way he speaks or for his personal habits, and I get that. However, just because we don't like someone doesn't invalidate the points he was trying to make. Don't take it personally unless you should take it personally. For the most part, you don't need to take personal a generalization. However, if the generalization has a sting to it because it rings too close to home, then instead of getting bothered by the reflection that is shining back to you, get busy about making adjustments. In the Buddhist teaching, they call that the mirror effect. When we see something that reflects ourselves back to us and the ego takes a hit. Now, if you're a parent, the first time your child does something, you go, oh, crap. They just got that from me, and now I've got to change. And that's another example of the mirror effect. Ignore false criticism. If you see that something is a foul ball, which, you know, a lot of these folks will, you know, throw a lot of foul balls out there, don't go chasing it. Let nonsense stay on the nonsense side. Some people are passionate about what they do, and some are just haters of everything else. Some people are blends. But don't go chasing the criticism around. If it's a foul ball, let it stay foul. Slow down and don't react to criticism either. Let it simmer for a little bit. Learn to prosecute and defend it. This gives you a mental and emotional edge and time to chew over, hopefully, a response that is better than just an emotional reaction. What were some of the things I didn't hear? I didn't hear any real criticism of jiu-jitsu. It sounded like a jiu-jitsu-sponsored program. I don't practice in that style or that system, but I have learned through other teachers and experienced practitioners of the system that that system as well is interpreted different ways by various teachers. I also didn't hear the shortcomings of grappling when it comes to an environment or gear that will not allow it. The obvious problems of not practicing chokes, holds, and rolling on the ground in a multiple assailant scenario, and there are a few others as well. I also didn't hear a definition of what martial art meant to them. Almost all the images that they show when they're articulating their message show guys in jiu-jitsu gear, wrestling gear, mats, rings, referees, and other grappling sporting events. So I will assume that they are re referring to the definition of martial arts as a sport. Where were the majority of their comments directed? They were directed toward the styles and systems that misrepresent their training as compared to the objective that they advertise. The McDojo black belt factories definitely feel the heat from a blast like that. 
But if you find that some of the comments hit too close to home, I encourage you, don't hate back. Just assess, adjust, and move on. And one last question. If you call the Chinese martial arts, the Kung Fu, if you call it your home, why is somebody else policing our backyard? We don't need or shouldn't need someone else to do that. I'm glad that in some ways that Joe Rogan blasted away, and I appreciated listeners like Eddie who informed me of his audio, because I've learned a lot there too. However, I don't want a grappler coming into my backyard pointing out what is being represented and not represented well with what I do. It bothers me that a stranger has to come into my backyard and to do that, and it stinks even more when he might be on the mark, too. Isn't that a rule in life as well? When someone makes a critical assessment of you, whether it was meant to be constructive or not, when they make that critical assessment, if you immediately feel a powerful emotion, it is usually because there's some truth to it. However, we respond and we learn to slow ourselves down and use it to help make ourselves better. As a practicing martial artist, learning not to react to everything that goes around is part of your practice. In the podcast of the Tibetan Kung Fu, episode 62, I share a Kung Fu lesson that I learned around about the age of 33. And many of our lessons and training would occur at the dinner table before or after practice. Then you would get up and go practice again if you could. This lesson is about don't complain about the taste of the stew when you're standing in the pot. And it applies here because we can't complain how Kung Fu looks or feels to us if we're contributing to the problem. We must also expect that, like everything else in this world, different arts are for different folks. Some people go out and they see abstract art and they see a magnificent piece of work. I see a piece of twisted iron in a bucket. Now, that's not that it's bad. It's just I'm not going to be paying for it. I will do a better job here and want us to do a better job as a Kung Fu family in recognizing that certain things are what they are, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Make sure that we do a little self-policing. The systems and styles of Kung Fu with its magnificent and ancient history is beautiful, but it has also been branded and marketed on many occasions for nothing more than profit and recognition. Next time, as a step in that direction, we're going to look at the phenomenon called the empty hand chi. You've seen it where these people blow each other out with this invisible force. And I may have a few other things to check out there as well. I hope you've enjoyed episode 55. And I was also wondering if any of you would be interested in seeing some clips of us training back in the early 90s on the black asphalt that I mentioned earlier. If you are, get in touch with me over at Kung Fu Podcast forward slash contact or Twitter or Facebook and let me know. And in closing, when it comes to the practice of martial arts, from the perspective of learning it for law enforcement, combat, and self-protection, there are only a few people that I've ever heard that describes it in the way that I understood it, and that was by Mr. Rory Miller. And he says, quote, It is better to avoid than to run. Better to run than to de-escalate. Better to de-escalate than to fight. Better to fight than to die. The very essence of self-defense is a thin list of things that might get you out alive when you're already screwed, end quote. And that's on the Meditations of Violence book. Exploring the culture, the adventures, 
and the impact of martial arts. That's what we do at Kung Fu Podcast. I really enjoy you all communicating with me. Can't wait to talk with you again. Episode 55.